Uh, and Ephesians chapter 4, 4 verse 1. Maddie's going to put it up in the um, New Living Translation, and then I might read it in the New King James as well, just to give us a real good, some real good thunder. Is that all right? Everyone say, it's about to get serious. Uh, just with that, at risk of uh, at risk of boring, let me recap. Ephesians chapter one was about the, this big, glorious God, creator of all things, who's got this intricate and eternal plan. The, it's, it, first, first four says that long ago, before He created the heavens and the earth, He loved me and He called me to be holy and blameless in His sight. Like so, before He made anything else, He saw me. He saw you, and He chose us. Right, he says this choosing of God goes right back in this glorious, like the mind of God to conceive like that is beyond my understanding, beyond our understanding. Right, Ephesians chapter one, this big glorious God. Ephesians chapter two, the grace of God, that His plan and His purpose that's extended to us, His power that's available to us and released upon us for His purpose. Right, they're big things. Right, Ephesians chapter three, there's no dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, between uh, Islanders and white people, between black and white. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, but you can be my baby. Anyhow, that's Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and, and then the bit we read this morning, God's, uh, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, it starts to get serious. Because of this gloriousness, because of this wonder of God, we've got to begin to believe for it to land in here. That, 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 that the, God, the power of God would be at work within us. Because when the power of God is finally at work within us or beginning to work within us, then the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3.20, now God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask, think, or imagine, infinitely behind our pray- highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires, according to His power, His dunamis, dynamic, explosive power that's at work within us, right? That's where Ephesians chapter 3 ends. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is where our feet hit the ground. So we're not. So that's our balloon. Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter two and three is our is the string on our balloon. Ephesians chapter four is about our feet and it's about our actual self. Ephesians chapter five gets into all sorts of serious husbands and wives, slaves and masters, right? And Ephesians chapter six gets into fighting the devil and praying hard, right? It gets serious. Four, five, and six, right? But chapter four, let's read it together. It says, "Therefore I, a prisoner, right? That's getting serious. Now I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord." That's his qualification for what he's about to say. Paul, he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. What's he saying? He says, he's saying, I'm for real. I'm Paul, I'm for real. This is the real deal. I'm in prison writing you this. I'm, he's getting their attention in quite a serious sort of a way, right? He's not saying, I'm Paul, hey, I'm the pastor. He's not saying, I'm Paul, hey, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a psychologist, but I have a friend who is. He's saying, I'm Paul, and I'm in prison for this. I believe this. What's he saying? His feet are on the ground. He's living a real Christian life that includes him following the call of Jesus at whatever cost, right? And I beg you, now this is serious, this is serious. I beg you to lead, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble. And gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Okay, that's a good, that's a good verse, eh? Verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called into one glorious hope for the future. 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, I should say, one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. How many people know you can, I can always feel the dust rising when I read that as we hit the ground? Okay, now, so it's great to read about God's glorious plan, and, we go, and that, that's awesome. That's where our heart is. That's where our vision is. It's great to talk about grace and how God's grace is extended to us, but it's got to come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We can't just live in chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace we're saved. It's not by works. Nobody can boast. We've got to come back to, yeah, it is by grace we've been saved, and it is His call from eternity. So let's get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Because of His call, let's live worthy. Can you hear the heart of Paul says, I'm begging you in the authority he has as this apostle, this prisoner for the Lord. He says, I'm begging you now, live worthy to the call. Now, the, the kingdom of God is often referred to as the upside down kingdom, right? Some, of you, some would say that's because they put the idiots in charge of churches, right? It's an upside down kingdom. Let's find the dumbest person in the room and make them the pastor, right? That's not what they're referring to. It's the upside down kingdom like this. So the, the normal kingdom of the world, the kingdom of this world, are, uh, is an attempted meritocracy. Everyone say meritocracy. It's an attempted meritocracy. And, and, and in New Zealand, the ultimate meritocracy is the All Blacks, right? The, it's the ultimate meritocracy in New Zealand. From, from, from five years old, boys and girls up and down the country are, way, are registered weighed and measured, registered and weighed and measured every single year. They're selected and chosen and coached from five years on. So how many kids? Well, our, our football club that Elliot's part of is 450 juniors, right? It's a lot of kids. All of those forms are centrally held by the New Zealand Rugby Union, tracking their weights and abilities right through their career from five years on onwards, right? At some point at 18 years old, players hit the radar of the all-black selectors and they find themselves pulled out of, not obscurity, but pulled into this plan. These are the talentedest, giftedest rugby football players, not just in New Zealand, but in the world, right? And they've come through the ranks and they've, they've proved themselves year in and year out and year in and year out and year in and year out, including the fact that they wouldn't have been allowed to play in their first 15 if they didn't have their homework done, right? They've proved themselves and then they get selected and then they get to prove themselves week in and week out and week in and week out. And any time a player in the All Blacks chooses to not live worthy of the calling, they're replaced, by someone who lives worthy of the calling. In the All Blacks, because it's a meritocracy, as soon as someone in the All Blacks, this makes sense, right? But if you break your leg in the All Blacks, you don't get selected next week, right? They'll choose someone without a broken leg, right? They will look after you, unless you're quite old, then they'll leave you alone. But they will look after you in the hope that you'll come back into the mix. But once you're injured, you're out, because it's a meritocracy. We're here to get the job done. It's not like, oh, we're going to pick, we're going to pick, you know, we're going to pick Alistair. He's got a broken leg, but he'll just sit on the side and join in if the ball gets near him, right? They don't do that, right? Because it's about winning. It's about achieving. It's about being the greatest. That's a meritocracy, right? You have to live in a meritocracy. You have to earn the jersey, so you have to live worthy for years and years and years. You have to be worthy of the jersey from five years old onwards. And finally, you earn the jersey, then you have to keep it somehow. In the upside down kingdom, is like this. Long ago, before God created the heavens and the earth, he loved you and he chose you. 
You weren't yet five. You couldn't rip a rip. You couldn't eat, even you. God chose you before you could eat the oranges at half time. He said, I'm putting him on my team. I'm choosing them. I'm calling them. You've got to understand this upside down nature of the kingdom because what happens is when we read scripture, we put it into this one got to earn my way to the top. We, we interpret everything we read in Scripture by this thing that we've been taught, that if I get the grades and I go to university and I'll get the career, and, and it's this, if it, even if it's not that path, we've got this path idea, right? If I write the right sort of music and get the right sort of album sales, I'll get the, pro, the prominence that I need to get really big sales and an international deal. It's all about earning this position and earning this place, earning the, the right to be something. But in, in, in the kingdom of God, before God created the heavens and the earth, he gave you a jersey. It's almost like he made you a jersey and a blazer and some nice slacks to wear, the aftermatch function. He made you that before he created the heavens and the earth. He selected you. Your name was there. You need a number. Jersey, shirt, it's all there. And you come into the change rooms and you sit there. And what's Paul saying? Come on, because of this gloriousness that he could choose you. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says that from one man, God calls all the nations of the world. And he decides when they would rise and when they would fall. So just from Adam and then from Noah, God, God calls all blood and he, he presides over all of humanity, deciding that Dougal would be born in Dunedin in 1974. Why did he decide that? There's some sort of reason. Because it could have just as easily been 1874 in Dunedin, quite a different place. He, God decided you would be the culture that you are, you'd be in the family that you are. He decides all this, right? This gloriousness, this meticulous nature of it. And at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, we hit the ground. Wow, we're wearing the jersey. We're not earning the jersey. We're wearing the jersey. Now, how do we live? Not we're earning the jersey. How do I live to earn the jersey? But I'm wearing the jersey. How do I live worthy of the jersey? It's almost like God picks you for the All Blacks. Then he says, okay, Canaan, great to have you on the team. This is a rugby ball. And that's where we begin our Christian journey. My favorite, my favorite, uh, my, one of my favorite people in the world is Harris Winnier. When Harris became a Christian, he'd never heard the word Christian before. He didn't know what people were talking about. What? Are you a Christian? Well, I go to this youth thing. And then after he became a Christian, he found out that one of his uncles is a Christian. This is what it, Hi, Harris. Here's a rugby ball. You're a Christian. Wow, I'm a Christian. Wow. How do you know that that's not the person you pick to lead the kids' ministry? That's not the person you pick to have an influence in generation after generation. Unless you go, that's the perfect person. Someone, that, someone who's going to go, oh, someone who's going to surrender to God and get on the team and begin to live it out as best they can. That's where we find ourselves. But we've got to allow our feet to get hitting the ground. We've got to ask the question on a daily or a weekly basis, how am I living? Uh, am I living worthy of the call? What do I need to adjust in my world to live worthy of the call? One of the things Pastor Bruce says all the time is that God is not your tailor. He'll give you a jacket but he won't make it fit you. He'll make you fit it. 
God's not your tailor. He puts the jacket on you and he expects you to grow into it. That's why it feels uncomfortable when you begin to lead, because the, when you begin following Jesus, because it's like, oh, how do I really live? And the arms are dragging on the ground. And as we mature, we become this thing that other people see. This way, when someone prophesies over you, like, oh, I can't really imagine that. Or it doesn't really fit. That seems a bit weird. But talk to someone like Rachel, and she'll tell you the story of, of hearing the prophecies, right? And then wearing the jacket, and well, it's a bit uncomfortable, but now stepping into more and more what God's called her to, right? That's the journey of following God. And it's the same in our behaviors. It's the same in our attitudes. It's the same in our, our responses to the world around us. It's the same in regard to sin. Are we living worthy of the call? Not are we living perfect, because you can't live perfect, right? In, in, in a human measure, you can't be perfect. But we're perfected by Christ, and we can live holy as we choose to embrace this journey. Rather than saying, I'll never be perfect, what's the point? Or uh, it's all about grace anyway, I don't need to even think about my behavior, or think about my attitudes, or think about my relationship to other people. I just need to move forward. How many people know that God is not their tailor? Yeah, give me an amen. If you've ever felt that feeling of, oh, I've got to try and fit into this thing that doesn't really fit. How many people have ever felt themselves wishing God was their tailor? How many people have taken the jacket back to the shop and said, you've given me the wrong size? This is a girl's jacket. <laughs> this is a jacket for somebody else. No, come on. The thing that God puts upon you, that God begins to speak to you, and it's an emerging thing. It's not like we know exactly who we're supposed to be. But we've got this, it's almost like we have these hints of, I'm supposed to be bigger than I am. I'm supposed to be humbler than I am. I'm supposed to be more loving to other people than I am, more aware of other people than I am. Amen? Very, very good. So humbleness, gentleness, long-suffering in the old version, bearing with one another. That's verse 2. That's what worthy of God's calling looks like. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and if you read Ephesians chapter 6, you'd think living worthy of the calling would be a bit more like William Wallace. You know, live worthy of the calling. Paint your face blue and attack people for Jesus. Live worthy of the calling. Pray for hours and hours in tongues. And then have power, you know, like people on the TV. Swing your jacket at crowds. That'd be awesome. Let's, get, let's be real, that'd be fun. That'd be awesome. Whoosh. Whoosh. <laughs> but there, that's someone else's calling, maybe. But what we're all, we're all called to this humility and gentleness and relationship with each other. Not just in church, but with people. A humility with people, a long-suffering with people, an openness to people. I said this morning that, f that hope is like the balloon and faith is like the string. Faith. Hope, faith, and love is the thing that makes the balloon make any difference for the people around us. That there's a lift. When you, when you walk into, the, into work and you have your balloon and you... Do, do other, can you lift other people up because of the elevation that hope is giving you and the f connection and faith you have to it? Because most of the time I can't. I can hold on to the balloon for myself, and I can feel the elevation of God's Spirit in my soul and as I go through my daily walk. But for me to give a lift to somebody else, I'm going to have to lay one hand off the balloon and put one hand in their hand. Can you see that living worthy of God's calling is about how we relate to other people straight away? 
living worthy of God's calling is about a humility of heart and an openness to others. That's point number one, right? Live worthy of God's calling. Point number two, it's about others, right? Everyone say it's about others. Number three, it says you need to keep a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse four, this is why it's important, because there's only one body, one spirit. We're called into one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was above all and through all and in you all. Everyone say, live worthy of the calling. We've all got to live worthy of the calling because there's only one thing. There's, there's, only, there's only this one thing. So it would be nice if I could do my Jesus life the way I want to, and Duncan could do his Jesus life the way he would want to. But the funny thing is that the way Jesus works in me seems to clash with the way Jesus works in Duncan sometimes. Wouldn't it be good if we didn't have to agree about stuff, we didn't have to talk about stuff, but I could just say, well, Duncan, you're stupid. I'm going to go over here and have my own little e-group, small group church over here, right? I'm going to do my own little thing over here, and I'm going to do things my way, right? Well, see, I grew up in a church like that. There were 120 of us in Wellington, and everyone else was going to hell. All of the other Christians weren't really Christians because they didn't believe in tongue-talking like we believed in tongue-talking, Right? Why was that? It was because at some point, God moved in some people's lives. And all around Pentecostalism, there's all this, this fracture because people get a revelation from God and then they, use, then they don't have the humility to say, well, this is what God's doing in me and I can appreciate what God's doing in you. You know, one of the things we say when we baptize people, when you said it tonight, obviously, we, we ask people to, to just verbally declare that they believe in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior because that's the qualifications for baptism. Um, and then we baptize them, and we, del- we actually use deliberate wording in our church that we baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. We use all three of those aspects of God just so that no one feels left out. And so there's no confusion. Hey, with this, with this, we're talking about the tripartite God of the Bible who spoke to Abraham. We're talking about the God who saved Daniel from the lion's den. We're talking about the God who spoke to, P, uh, to, P, to uh, who, who spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. That's the God we're baptizing you into, right? That's the story we baptize people into. We don't. No one gets baptized in Equipus into Equipus Church. We baptize you into the name of uh, Equipus Church and E groups and E teams, <laughs> right? Because who cares about Equipus Church? Because it doesn't say in Ephesians chapter 1, long ago before God created the heavens and the earth, he loved Equipus Church, and he called Equipus Church to be the best church in Wellington. Yeah, better than all the others. That's not what it says. That's what I believe, but it's not what it says. Right? That's what my flesh would make me think, but it's not what it says. It says that God created us. God called people. He calls His people out. And we're gathered at His people. God's people are gathered all across the city. Right now, there's other groups gathering and praying, and God's at work, and the Holy Spirit's moving, right? Because there's just one thing. There's this one kingdom that we're part of. There's this one thing going on. We've got to work, it says, 
endeavoring, use every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. We've got to use every effort. Here's, there's two challenges. There's two big challenges to your Christian faith. Number one is the world. There's three, right? So there's the world, the, the evilness of the world, the empire. There's your flesh nature, your sinful nature, right? And the other big challenge to being a Christian is church. It's a big challenge to be a Christian. It'd be easy to be a Christian in a log cabin somewhere. Well, it'd be easy to imagine you're a Christian in a log cabin somewhere. Read your Bible, sing the songs you like. <laughs> I think the, the, the worship leaders need to have, it's almost the mandate of worship leaders. We don't do it here, but we should almost make it part of the job description. Choose songs people don't like. And for preachers, preach messages that upset people. And eager. Ask questions that make people feel uncomfortable. Why? Because that God puts us in this place to challenge each other and grow each other, grow up, for us to grow each other, right? But then what he's saying around that, he puts this, make every effort to preserve the unity of the faith, the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. The bonds of peace that hold us together, Right? Why does he say that? Because he knows what church is like. Jesus, when he's putting this in Paul's heart, he's saying, come on, tell these people to preserve the unity of the faith. Right? Preserve the unity of the faith. Why is he telling us that? Because he know, Jesus knew what it would be like to go to e-group and you sit at e-group and the e-group leader asks annoying questions. Oh, I really, really don't want to talk about that aspect of my life. I want to go, an e-group, I want to, go to an e-group uh, where we just do Bible studies. Have you ever heard people say that? I just want to just do Bible studies. When I'm thinking like that, I just want to do Bible studies. I don't want to just have these weird conversations about real things. Sometimes, sometimes the motivation in me is that if it's about the Bible, I can say, oh, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. But if it's the eager leader saying, what, what are these questions? I'm trying to think of an example of the questions. Oh, so um, how do you uh, build a humility in your life, Alistair? Oh, Lord, tell us about a time when you were proud and it impacted the way you operate with, you know, the people around you. Now, that's harder to answer than just go, uh, oh, yeah, make every effort to preserve the bond of peace. Right? If you sit down in a group and ask those hard questions, but what, what, what are the biggest challenges for you in terms of living worthy of God's calling, Putty? Oh, I think the biggest challenges for people around and out there are, I think the big challenge in the world today, uh, it's much easier to answer those questions than it is to answer the question of what's the big challenge in Jordan for Jordan to live worthy of God's calling. Everyone say, our feet need to hit the ground. We have to keep it real because there's only one kingdom. There's just only this one thing. We can't keep splintering into weirdness, right, which is church history. I've got this weird idea and it's, I don't like you. I'm doing this over here. We're just gonna we're gonna fall over. That's what we're into. Oh, I hate falling over. We're gonna be over here standing up straight like proper Christians. Fall over in church. Pull yourself together. Do a bit of core exercise. <laughs> but come on, we've got to preserve the unity of the faith. We've got to preserve the unity of the spirit. Sorry, and the bonds of peace. And it's the only way we do this. We're walking humbly, bearing with one another, because it's about other. People. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. 
overall. Ephesians chapter 3 said the same sort of thing. Um, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who from the whole family in the heaven and earth is named. Um, the, the body of Christ is the body of Christ is one picture of the of what God's doing on the earth. The kingdom is another sort of metaphor idea. The family of God. How many of you have heard the family of God? The funny thing about family, eh? You can choose good friends and you can choose bad friends, but you just don't get to choose in family. Wouldn't it be cool to choose a better church? I'd like to go to a better church than this one myself. Seriously, I'd like to go to church that's slightly more organized. I'd like to go to church where we didn't have to get up at six in the morning on a Sunday. How many of you with me? I'd like to do that. But yeah, do you know what I mean? I'd also like to, go, to be from a family that was slightly bigger and stronger than the one I was born in. We didn't have such big noses and bushy eyebrows. I'd appreciate that. I would like to be born in a family where we didn't, we didn't grow a lot of hair on our ears. When I go to the barber, I have to ask them, can you do my ears too? And they go at the back and get a weed whacker. <laughs> I'd like to be from a family that had normal ears. Well, not, well, not when I say normal, I mean not dog ears. The ears of a human being without hair on them. That's what I'd like. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much I'd like that. I don't get to choose. I'm in the family that God put me in. I'd like to be in a family where they had hand-eye coordination. That would be good. I'd like to be in a family that had billions of dollars in the bank. How many people like that? But you know what? You don't get to choose. We're in the family God put us in, and it's the same in church. Well, I don't really like Pudgy anymore. Well, that's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame because there's a lot of family dinners between now and Christmas. You're going to have to sit across the table from Putty, and are you going to keep not liking him, or are you going to humble yourself? Are you going to preserve the unity of the faith and allow God to do in you what he's trying to do in you? There's a reason you don't like Putty. It's because you are an idiot, and you need to adjust your attitude, right? When, when, you know, you've got to understand, and Alistair annoys me. He annoys me. Three times a year, he'll say something to me that annoys me like crazy. It annoys me like crazy because it's true. <laughs> I'll come, I'll say something like, oh, like one, <laughs> we were doing the DNA course, which we're, we're, we're changing the DNA course. It's going to be cool, the new, new way of doing it. We're just going to do it at mine and Chrissy's house because it's getting hard to do it on Sunday because we're a bit busier here. But we were doing the DNA course the first time we were going to do it on Sunday morning. And I'd, I'd been, you know, we'd been planning it out and everything like that. And, um, I've been talking with Alistair, and Alistair was organizing the details, and I was like, this is how I want to do it, and it's going to be awesome. And, and I'd said this to Alistair, I'd said, right, let's just do it. Even if there's only one person, it's still important for that one person. You know, I was being passionate and visionary, and it's still important for that one person. And then, you know, four months later, it's like, like a wet Sunday morning, and Alistair's like, there's just one person. I'm like, cancel it. <laughs> Can't cancel it. And he says, oh, you did say like, man, you're annoying. He's constantly annoying me. He's always been honest and genuine, people-focused. He's constantly winding me up. Well, I just want to ignore people and just get on with my life. And Alistair's keeping on. What's Alistair making me do? He's making my feet hit the ground. He's making me stop being a weird Christian who just says one thing. Oh, even if it's just one person. He's like, it's just one person. Do the course. Right, but come on, what are, what, that's just an silly example of what happens in our lives all the time. That's what happens, that's why we've got to be together. That's why Alice is, why Alice is like, you've got to get in an e-group. 
it's, it's a bad, this is bad marketing, but you've got to get into the e-group because e-groups are even more annoying than church. You've got to get into an e-group because e-group will get under your skin even more than what I'm doing right now, right? Because it won't be dark. It'll just be in a couch. You've got to, because why? Because there's a whole lot of reasons why, but the reason we're focusing on Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is because of the call. Because of this call. There's this call on your life. And you don't see it. Everyone else in the room sees it. Everyone else in the room is like, oh, man, there's something awesome about Duncan. Duncan's like, oh, I've just got to go to work tomorrow. I'm just Duncan. But everyone else is like, man, there's something awesome about Duncan. And I'm just me. I'm just ordinary. Everyone's like, no, you're not ordinary. There's something special about God's putting you that's uniquely you. And because of that call, come on, let's commit ourselves to be the sort of church that, put, that drags people down to, down to earth. Come on, what about your real life? Oh, I'm thinking of just chucking my studies in. Oh, come on, what's God called you to? Oh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of shifting to Australia. Come on, what's he called you to? I'm looking for another church, one without Pastor Jordan in it. Come on, what's God, come on, what's God calling you to? I guarantee you, wherever church you go, I'm going to come as a guest speaker. <laughs> I'll, force, I'll send letters inviting myself. And I'll prophesy over you. Yeah, you there in the back. I don't know your name. Orange shirt. God says to you, suck. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Here I am, loser. I say, there's someone here who changed church just because they didn't like me. If that's you, respond now. Lift your hand. That's what I do, yeah. I say, there you are, putty. I'm going to come punch you in the head. Uh, but c- come on, what did, the Bible says this, as, as an iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance sharpens his friends. Think about what it was. What would it look like for my face to sharpen your face? And your face to sharpen my face. That's quite an intimate sort of picture. Come, on, come here. I just want to minister to you, Canaan. <laughs> like it's a, but countenance is not your face. It's, it's what's reflected through your face. So what's reflected from my face clashes with, grates against what's reflected out of your face. And we better each other as long as we preserve unity of faith. Come on, we are a team who are here to make a difference in our city. The, all of the churches in Wellington, I see it like this, all the Christians in Wellington are an orchestra. Jesus is the conductor, one conductor. Every, every instrumentalist needs to have their focus on the conductor. We, Equipus Church Wellington, are the brass section, and I am the loudest trumpet, Right? I am the main trumpet in this church, right? But you are not looking at me. You are looking at the conductor. I'm going to play my trumpet as best as I can, just as long as there are other senior musicians. And then as you, if you're learning your instrument, sit next to someone who's playing the trombone and learn what it means to be what you're called to be. I'm going to play loud. I'm going to do everything I think that God's calling me to do. But you've got to understand my focus is not on all the other brass instruments. My focus is on the conductor. And your focus isn't just on the lead trumpet. You can hear me because I'm loud. But your focus has got to be Jesus. There's no good for you. There's no good you following me. You've got to be following Jesus. There's no good following Patsy. You've got to be following Jesus. You've got to be inspired by the leaders in church, the great people God's put in here, the great gifts. But it's the conductor who directs us. Now multiply that across every church. All the instrumentalists are following the conductor. Do you know what? We'll make a sound in this city. We'll make a sound in this city. 
But if the brass sections is worried about what the strings are doing, and the string section have, are just annoyed with the percussion because the sticks keep flying in the backs of their head. Come on. We don't need to practice with the string section, but we need to play with them, and we play with them by focusing on the character because there's one Lord, one Master, one Savior in Jesus. We've got to learn to live worthy of our calling. Why we, musicians, why don't you jump up on stage, and we're going to pray. I'd be good to finish with a song of praise, wouldn't it? I reckon. I reckon it'd be good to finish with a song of praise, yeah. Maybe not on the slippery part. That could be funny. <laughs> But it'll be, uh, have you ever like fallen over as an adult? Anyone slipped over as an adult? Yeah. You just go down like a sack of spuds. Spam. Just, just stay down, eh? Just bam. Wow. Spam. That's it, man. Like spam. Like a tin of spam. Anyway, let's pray. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the, just the awesome power of it to impact our hearts, transform us to speak to us, to encourage us, to inspire us. Right now, I just pray for every person in this place who feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit now. Lord, I pray that we'd have the courage that Aaron demonstrated in her testimony. We'd have that courage to cut things out of our life that need to be cut out, to draw a line in the sand and move forward into what you're calling us to. We thank you for the inspiration of that testimony, the reality of it. And Lord, we thank you for how it inspires us, how it challenges us. Do you know, I love what um, Amy said as well, just in her testimony, that she wanted to get baptized when she was eight. And it just never went away. That's the calling. An eight-year-old can feel it. And it never goes away. Whatever's going on in your world, that call never goes away. The uniqueness of it, the purity of it, the power of it. Perhaps here, maybe you're way far away from God. Could I give you this opportunity just to draw close to Him? To respond to His invitation? The invitation of God is simple. He invites us to give to Him our sin stained and broken life and receive from Him His righteousness, His wholeness, His goodness, and His power. We give to Him death and He gives to us life. If you're here and you're far away from God, could I urge you to respond to Jesus? When we respond to Jesus, asking Him to forgive us of sin making Him the Lord of our life. We make that transaction with God, giving Him the old and the broken and receiving from Him newness, life. And we do that because of His grace and His love towards us. While everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if that's you, I'm gonna pray in just a minute, but I'd love you to identify yourself before I pray. If you're making this decision to respond to Jesus, just while I'm looking around, just give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me. I wanna respond to Jesus. I want Him to be a part of my life in a new in a powerful way. When I've seen your hand, you can pop it back down and then we're gonna pray. Thanks, right in the middle there. Is anyone else? Just give me a quick wave. Yeah, over my left, my right, sorry. Anybody else? Just give me a wave. Say, yeah, I wanna respond to Jesus. I want him to be part of my world. If that's you, just lift your hand. When I've seen your hand, you can put it back down again. That's awesome. Church, can we pray together? Is that cool?
Let's pray together. Why don't we stand to our feet? And um, we'll all pray together, but it's you, the two, those two who lifted your hands. We're, pray, we're all going to pray together. Partly, two reasons. One, so you don't feel embarrassed. But secondly, because these are important words for us all. These are the words we live our life from, is the, this decision to acknowledge Jesus. So let's lift our voices together. I'll pray a line, and then you, you shout it out. Here we go. Dear God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your call. I thank you for your promise over my life. Jesus, I thank you for dying in my place on the cross. Today I acknowledge you as my Lord. And I acknowledge you, God, as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm choosing to follow you from today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? Super good. Do you know, um, uh, those, two of you who, those two who responded, or if you, you really know you need to make some steps forward in terms of following Jesus, in, in Equipment Church Wellington, we, we really, there's real simple. You just need to be in church on Sunday, and you need to be in a small group, which we call an e-group, um, in the midweek. So once a week, if, if you're old, you can come to my e-group. Uh, if you're a woman, you can go to Chrissy's e-group. There's other ones as well for people our age. You can go to youth on a Friday or you can go to midweek on a Tuesday. They're all small groups where conversation can happen. You can, you can learn what it is to follow Jesus, right? It's not as intense as I was making out. It's just relationship, but God works intensely in it, right? Is that cool? So if you responded to and you want to follow Jesus, those, that's two things we really recommend everybody do. And from there, you, know, you can begin to learn more about who Jesus is. Amen? Very, very cool. What I, want to, I really feel like we should respond to this idea of living worthy of our call. And, um, you know, um, oh, this is what I feel like the response should be. If, if you know you're not living worthy of the call, but you want to, I just want you to just decide I'm going to live worthy of the call. We could, you know, you could dig deep into your heart about what's really going on and you know, we've all got issues that drag us away from the call of God in life. But it really begins with a decision to say, yeah, I'm going to live worthy of the call. It's almost like a recommitment heart that says, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live worthy of God's call. I'm going to live worthy of, of what His plan is in the world and what His plan is in my life. And if that's you, what I want you to do is I just want you to lift your hands right across the room if you're saying, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm living less than I should and I'm going to decide now I'm moving into a greater sense of living worthy of God's call. Just lift your hands and I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, I just thank you as people respond, Lord God, even just as the band's playing, as people lift their hands. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking, Lord God, you're lifting weight. I really feel like there's a, a weight of condemnation that God's lifting right now. If that's you, just feel it. Drop off your shoulders. A weight of condemnation, of unworthiness, just dropping off your shoulders. You are not less than what God called you to. You're not less than what He called you to. You're growing into the jacket. You're growing into His call, but you're not less than. Holy Spirit, we commit our hearts to following You. Jesus, we commit our hearts to being everything You've called us to. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's sing this song. 